Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 18, Episode 14, and our 2023 World Junior Championships Review Show powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. I'm Shane Malloy with Brad Allen from HockeyProspect.com. And you can listen to the show as well on your favorite podcast network or on YouTube and follow us at HP Radio on Twitter and at HockeyProspectRadio.com. So, uh, Brad, uh, before we get going into the show, I want to give a huge thanks to all the volunteers and organizers in Moncton and Halifax. They put on a great show. Uh, we couldn't do what we do in the media without the volunteers. They really, honestly, they save our rear ends and make things easy for us. So, And the fans were fantastic in both cities. Like Sometimes when you go to World Juniors, there'll be the, the teams that not a lot of fans will go to. It might be like a Latvia game or a Swiss game, and it was packed in Moncton. And it was like great crowds in Halifax. So I was really impressed with the crowds and how boisterous they were and and how they cheered other countries on, because sometimes that doesn't happen uh, when some of the countries come to Canada. So overall, fantastic environment. Obviously, you know, we're going to talk about the bronze medal game and the gold medal game um, in the second hour. But the crowds were amazing. The atmosphere in the cities were great, which is why I love when the World Juniors comes back to smaller markets in Canada. Uh, the last time it was sort of like that was Saskatoon and Regina in 2010. Um, it was fantastic there as well. Um, so I'm hoping that that trend kind of continues. It would be if it's in a location like Winnipeg or maybe back in Ottawa one day where you can have two rinks in the same city really close together, that makes a huge difference. And Winnipeg and Ottawa are not that big a city. So I'm hoping that the next couple of World Juniors are in those locations in Canada because I think it just makes the environment so much better. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was one of the best uh, best tournaments we've seen in a long time. And the best part of it by mile was the fact that we got a real atmosphere again. It's the World Juniors is not the same when, when you have the COVID pause or it's not the same uh, when you have World Juniors in the summer either. So it was really good to get back to uh, the roots of what makes the World Juniors special. Right. And I think it we got to got away from it a little bit with, you know, I know the people in Toronto and Montreal and Buffalo, you know, they, they hustled and did their best, but it, the environment wasn't the same because, you know, the rinks were so cavernous. And I think you just got the locations were so close together. There's a little bit of like fan apathy every time you kind of came back to that. Um, that's tough from that perspective. So uh, it was nice to get back to sort of the grassroots of what the World Juniors really are. Uh, I think it just made it way more fun. And it was reflecting upon the broadcasters as well. Uh, I, like you just could saw, you saw all of them super excited about being there. And I think it was just nice to get back out of the COVID lull of back to some level of normalcy in the hockey world from that standpoint. So let's talk about uh, Team Austria as well. You know, I, I think... And, and Latvia for that matter. I, I I just give I give both those countries a lot of credit. That's tough coming into an environment when you're so overskilled. But uh I thought Vincent Royer did a really good job. I'm like, you know, when you have a couple players who are obviously better than their peer group within their team and they have to be leaned on pretty heavily. I thought, you know, Vincent did a pretty good job of that, of like taking the brunt of that load and and just playing the best he could. Um and handle it his own 
So I, I like to see that in those situations because that that's some up, uphill sledding for players like that. Hmm, well, the, with, with Pichen's case, he, he's not a natural line driver of play. He's one of those complementary players that's supposed to get to the dirty areas and, and uh, use some of that hard skill. Uh, and in this case, he's he's having to change his role a little bit, right? And that that's a that's a difficult thing to do when you're when you're matching up against elite teams. But uh, I'll say a couple of things. One is with Austria, I'm just I'm happy their program keeps improving, and they'd be a very different looking team too if Marco Casper was on 100%. that team. Or Marco Marco would have really helped that team. And the other aspect, I think, they have the best jerseys at the event. <laughs> so yeah. They, they, for me out of that and uh you know what they, they hung tight in some games you know and, and the other thing about austria is uh, I, I was proud of our fan base you know, they got behind them i think it really helped i i thought the germany austria game was one of the best games of the event it was a fantastic game yeah you know? and then that's what you want when you have teams that are not expected to medal let's have memorable games and that's exactly what they ended up doing they had a fantastic game against uh, germany Talk about David Reinbacker, because I know there's a lot of eyes on him coming into the 2023 NHL draft when you have, you know, a big, sturdy, right-handed shot defenseman like him who has upside and skill. There's, you know, it's a raw talent that you're like, there's scouts talking about him when I went into the scouts room of just like upside. And they're really looking forward to seeing how he plays down the stretch. Thoughts on his gameplay during the tournament? Well, he's in a unique position for for listeners that uh, didn't get to hear us the previous week. We, we we touched on this, but he he plays out of Cloten in the National League, which is a men's pro league in Switzerland. And so this is an opportunity. He also played the Germany Cup internationally uh, uh, recently before this event, which I saw him in. He was good there, uh, but it was against men. So this was an opportunity to see him at a, a, in his own pure range. Yes. And so that's important. That gives us a, a different kind of sample as a scout. So the the main thing though is you have to be very careful with what you're expecting out of him as a result of the fact that he's a single defenseman and, and he can't, he can't be everywhere all at once. Right. He's, right. He can't be a, a Connor McDavid style player and just take the team on his back. It's not, it's not going to happen. So what you're really looking for and what I was looking for uh, out of Rhinebacker at this event was, could he maintain a sense of calm when there was chaos? Uh, and I felt he did that. And the other aspect was when the score was getting out of reach, how would he perform? Would his play dip? Would it elevate? How how was his competitive nature when the score is nine nothing the other way? And I thought that he did a really good job of maintaining and, and being consistent within his own game despite the score getting out of reach. Uh, I remember against Chechia specifically, I was looking to see how he would play in the third. He gassed out a bit, he made some mistakes early, but the last five minutes he bounces back, makes some really good plays again. That's what you want to see. That that was really for for me as a scout. That's what I was looking to monitor. The other aspect was this was an opportunity to really see how he performed, uh, getting a top power play time and just getting as many minutes. Uh, uh, at the line as he could. And uh, I thought he did decent. He did a decent job. The, the one thing with Ryan Backer, you mentioned it a little bit, which is he's raw. Right? This is much like Maxim Sturback on Slovakia, right. also yes. a raw talent. Uh, but the difference is Sturback's uh, handling development's a little further. He's a little more coordinated, a little more dexterous at this stage in his development. And that allows him to carry possession at the line a little longer. In Ryan Backer's case, uh, you know, in, in out of Cloton, when I've seen him, he's had trouble handling the puck uh, in stretches. And that did occur here. There was flashes of inconsistency with his handling. But he also uh, showed one of the most unique traits he has, which is uh, a sixth sense to get it through traffic. 
He's just got that sixth sense to know when he can get it get it through. And so I, I thought he did a pretty good job, pretty good, admirable effort in terms of creating offense when he could. And, I mean, there was even opportunities where he was rushing the puck through the neutral zone and he was going hard on the forecheck trying to create something, right? And that's, I mean, it's just the byproduct of the environment. And he's got to do that. But the big thing with Reinbacker is there isn't a lot of, uh, the, I, I think of him, I, I know this sounds like a weird comparable considering how talented Stanislav Svozil is and what type of player he's turning into, but at the same age, at the same time in, in their draft year, Svozil was looking, yes, yeah, similar. There was a raw upside. He was physical. There was an extra dimension in his defensive game. He looked like a player who could box out uh, uh, men and box out bigger power fours, which is a very important trait. That's something every scout looks for. And uh, I feel like that's what Reinbacker is going to be at the bare minimum. The question is, is he a third pairing insulator or is he a second pairing insulator? That's the real question. Was that answered at this event? I don't think so. I think it's going to have to continue to see his development over time here. But he he, he performed admirably considering the circumstances he was in. Right. And I think a lot of that questions are going to be answered down the stretch run into towards May, because that'll dictate where he's taken in the draft. Right. If, they, if the team who drafts him thinks he's going to be, you know, that second pairing, well, that's where you start taking a guy like that in the end of the first round. Right. And you let him play out. If not, then, you know, he starts to dip into that early second round, maybe into the mid second round, depending on where, you know, things sort of play out from that standpoint. So that's, you know, we, and those are the things we monitor, you know, so when we put together our list, you know, those are the things that when we have to look at projection, that's it, always tough. I uh, want to uh, talk to you as well about Dan's uh, Lokmilis. I thought the Latvians played an excellent tournament, tons of pace. That Swiss Latvia game was one of the best games I've saw. I saw all tournament, tons of pace up and down the ice. Like, um, and I love the Latvian fans. They're fantastic. They're super fun. So talk about Dan's a little bit. Yeah, the Latvian, the country of Latvia is incredible when it comes to to, to just the fan base. I, I get to watch games in the Latvian Pro League, and they, they don't have many fans in the stands, but the ones that are there, you can hear, right? And that and that's what it's all about. Uh, I thought Lukmilis again. I, I've said this before. I'll give Boston uh, credit here. Like I think Boston has a sneaky, sneaky late round pick that that could really turn out, and that's that stands Lukmilis. Lukmilis is one of those Swiss Army knife style players that can do everything. He does a bit of everything. He can defend. He can he can join the attack and support along the walls. He can be the driving possession player and 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 get the clean zone entry when he needs it for uh, in terms of his offensive ability. Uh, when it, when it comes to his attack, he can be creative. He can be deceptive. Uh, he can shoot. He can pass. He does it all. He just there's not there's no specialization with him within his game minus the competitive nature of him. I think he's a very yeah. competitive player, which is critical for him because he does project to be more of a depth player. But I think a good one that can play. Uh, I thought he showed very well at this event. I thought he was the best player on Latvia at this tournament. And uh, and, and as you mentioned, I thought the Latvia Swiss game was fantastic. Uh, and uh, and I really think, you know, Valminis and and Lokmilis, You know, Valminis was, was more of a shooter. He's a bit more. He's a bit more of a, a player that relies more on his on his power play. Than Lokmilis does, yeah. um, but Valminis showed up in, in stretches too. I think at times he was overwhelmed, but there there was moments where that he had yeah. as well. So, you know, uh, also uh, I can't remember off, honestly off the top of my head the goalie's name, but uh, their goalie that they had at the NHL. Uh, they came in there. He he performed really well, and he was a huge factor as to why Laffy was able to stay in some games and and make sure that they could take some teams into deeper waters. Well, you know, before we head off to break, I. You know, we always look for that the Finns to be that that plucky team that just battles hard and you know is relentless. 
And that's where I've seen Latvia take on that role in many respects is the group behind the sort of the big five that we've normally used to seeing. It's Latvia starting to make that trend up in that direction. So I'm happy for Latvia as well. Brad, are going to take a short break. We come back. We'll continue to talk about the World Junior Championship review right after these messages. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and brought to you by Instat Hockey, offering the largest video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're in segment two of our 2023 World Junior Championship review. So let's chat about the Swiss. And right off the top, and I thought the Swiss played really well in this tournament. I mean, they were up against some tough competition, and I think the progress of that country and the amount of prospects they're producing, and there's not as many necessarily the elite level, but they're producing good players enough to hold their own against some really, you know, talented competition at the World Juniors. And let's talk about Liam Bichel and the amount of pressure that was put upon him because he was the number one defenseman on that team and really had to match up against every top player and thoughts on him in the tournament. Well, I'll start off by saying, of course, when I call out the Swiss program, what do they do? They have a fantastic tournament and, and show show really well. And, and there was a couple of players that I, I didn't know much about that uh, really, really shine. So, uh, I'll give credit where credit's due. Uh, the Swiss were really surprising to me, really surprising in a good way. Uh, and it made for a much better tournament, I felt. 100%. You know, I feel, honestly, there's something missing in this event, honestly, when Russia's not there because it's, you know, you're missing one of the big countries. Uh, and I felt like the secondary countries really showed up that really helped cover it and make this a, a tremendous World Juniors. I was, I was a bit worried about that going in. And I love this event. I think this tournament is one of the best tournaments in sport let alone in hockey. So it was fantastic to see from that perspective. Uh, getting to Bixell, you know, as you mentioned, like we knew going in, this was going to be the workhorse that he was going to have to be dominant in order for the Swiss to really uh, do well here. And for the first couple of games, I felt he was really, really good, right? The, the, the force of nature that just takes over the game at both ends, especially defensively, just as we mentioned, he's he plays with an edge. Um, and uh, he can, you know, I, I was, I, I remember scouting and just watching him going, matching up against Adam Sakura and Philip Maser in that game. And they were along the boards and it was just, you know, it was like clockwork, him just taking them out of the play. Right. Uh, that that's really Bixell's gift. He can just erase players. He can stop transition. He can break up plays, get the puck moving. Now, the, the other part of that, I just mentioned it for a reason, get the puck moving was I felt as the tournament progressed, uh, as the minutes started to pile up, he became a little, a little worse with his execution rates, right? Yeah. Fatigued, yeah. There, yeah. There was and no not necessarily fatigue. physically fatigued, but I thought mentally, emotionally No, men- mentally, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Mentally yeah. a little fatigued. You could tell because his processing under pressure when he was trying to retrieve an exit uh, started to becoming a little more inconsistent. And his handling, which is admittedly back to his draft year, that was a little bit of an issue, was the consistency within his handling, within his pass reception ability, within his right. ability to carry the puck in transition at top speed was was inconsistent. So it's not unexpected entirely, right? So uh, that said, I thought he was 
pretty darn good here. I'm sure Dallas is pretty happy with his performance, especially when you consider the fact the only game he got to play uh, last season uh, against Russia, he was very poor there. So there's a much better showing and much better representation of what the player is, is just emerging, evolving into. I mean, the, the other thing I'll mention about Big Shell is he, he plays in Lexington's system over in the SHL. He's not getting a ton of minutes. So this is an opportunity for him to really pile up the minutes, get some real reps in. I think that's really good for his development. Let's talk about uh, Antilio Biasca, uh, uh, 2023 draft-eligible player, a player that I thought really stood out to me in terms of his his hockey sense, his pace, um, competitiveness, um, you know, skill set was more than, you know, you try not to go into these tournaments with an expectation because it really, you know, causes biases and skews your viewpoint. But he was somebody that really stood out to me. And I wanted your thoughts on what you saw, you know, in the games that he had played. Yeah, so I always tell our listeners the truth, and this is the truth. I did not know who he was, did not know, and that's that's uh, no fault of mine. I'm I don't go to the queue unless I'm told to go to the queue, right? Uh, yeah. Hockey prospect, we have multiple scouts, Mark Edwards and Jerome Barubi, and many others who come in out of the queue all the time, see them live. I can't, so it's one of those situations where I don't need to be there very often. So he was, it was very interesting for me because I never even knew about him developing in the queue and what's happened. So I did ask. Uh, Jerome Bruby, who knows him much, much better than I ever will. And uh, what Jerome told me was that uh, this is a player who's a late bloomer. This is not a situation where he just had a one-off tournament that was exceptional. This was a situation where he came in the queue and he had a real difficulty keeping pace, didn't think the game at the level needed, couldn't execute with his playmaking very well. Uh, Not much of a finisher, which was present in this event, but everything else really starting to develop. And I mean, the toolkit on on the kid is fantastic. He can skate like the wind. Uh, He's he's very good in transition. He's very good uh, incorporating deception at the first phase of his attack. And that allowed him to really mix up his options and keep defensemen guessing. Very good at lane readjusting. He was dangerous on the power play. He was out of nowhere for me. I was very, very surprised. Uh, if if that's what he looks like in the queue the whole year, I can't imagine a scenario where he's not drafted, right? So it's a right, uh, really certainly. impressive performance. You know, a captain the team, you know, had the team on his back. He was fantastic. I was very, very impressed with him. Very impressed. Well, and we see that often with European players coming over into the CHL, where there is sometimes there's a larger development you know, hiccups along the way, trying to make those adjustments. And then it tends to be around just after Christmas break, you know, they get some time off, re reevaluate themselves, recalibrate. And then it tends to be, they tend to hard charge more down the stretch. And this may be the launch pad for him to like come, come back into the queue and really sort of shine in that way, you know, come in with some more confidence that way. And anytime, you know, when you match up against some of the, your best peer group, that's certainly going to happen for you from that standpoint. I want to ask you about Julian Lutz, and I know there was a lot of eyes on him for Germany. Obviously, he's their most skilled and accomplished forward that they have, and there was going to be a lot of pressure put on him to produce in a really tough situation. And thoughts how he handled that type of pressure and those expectations, because that's I'm. It's not even for me. I, I look. It's not necessarily production in terms of goals and assists, but I look at how they handle situations and how they react afterwards. Uh, because when you get singled out like that, you know that's a lot on a player, particularly at that age. So thoughts on how he handled that situation? Well, when you're going to single out like he was, the, the main thing you need is you need a real toolkit so you can you can maintain possession, and and he has that right. Julian Lutz has a tremendous amount of potential. 
But it's just that his potential. He's got to hone in. Uh, I thought he was really good against Sweden. That one nothing game was really right. tight. I thought he was very, very dangerous there. Uh, it showed, showed a lot of what he's capable of both on and off the puck. You know, he had that loose puck race. He won the race, gets that beautiful pass net front, uh, almost gets the primary assist on that play. Uh, very, He's a very dangerous player from stationary positions. The one thing about Lutz, which uh, is still drives me a little crazy, to be honest with you. I watch a lot of them. Um, this uh, Again, un- for young scouts out there, very underrated category. You need to be able to track, monitor, and evaluate properly on a player. Uh, evaluating team recognition on goalies with, with shooters, right? Uh, he has a bit of difficulty recognizing the, the best angle for, for a shot occasionally. I thought he was better at that at this event in, in, as a whole uh, than he's been in the DEL this year. Again, I think part of that is comes down to the reps. He has not played a lot this season, so it's a real opportunity for him. Uh, but I really thought I really thought he stood out in spurts. And I, I emphasize spurts because there's still a lot more work to be done here for him to become that natural play driver that I think he can become if he if he's given enough time. Uh, but there, there were sequences, flashes where you're like, oh, that's that's the reason he was taken as, as uh, where he was by Arizona. Now, I, I've mentioned on the show before I had him in my top 32. I've been following him since he was 15, 16 years of age in the Alps Hockey League. Uh, there's a lot to like. I, I, re- I really hope that uh, he can develop and that he, Germany has another real player because not at the U20 level, but when you think f- further down national the line, level. nationally at the world, cha- exactly, national yeah. level, Germany's starting to get really scary. And that's a great thing. It's a great thing for hockey. We need more of it. Yeah, and that's always the concern when you have a young player who's playing in in professional league against men and, you know, coaches that are win and, you know, young players are inconsistent and they're going to have to monitor, you know, their ice time and they tend to get less. And there is benefits to being with the pro, pro and there's benefits with being your peers, you know. And I think in Julian Lutz's case, it's a balancing act that Arizona is going to have to probably reevaluate. And now if Julian plays in the world championships, that's certainly going to be a really good opportunity. And I think after that Very point, possible. then that's where, you know, uh, the Arizona management is going to have to take a look. Okay. What's the next step for this kid? Do we leave him? Like, do we have the discussion with their, their team? They go, look, you know, f- for him to get better, he's got to play more minutes. And if that's not going to happen there, then, there's the discussion of, okay, maybe we're going to bring him to North America and then find a place for him to play. So that's always an ongoing. Um, another player um, that we had previewed in in our show was Nikita Kwop, and he was the only goaltender we previewed because we thought he would have to stand on his head for Germany to have any chance, you know, to, to roll into the quarters and then, you know, have a fighting chance against any of the teams there. And, and thoughts on his overall game because uh, that kid got bombarded. Like with a lot of shots, with a lot of shots. Um, And what I like to see is how they, how, how much composure he has and then how he rebounds from just getting peppered or like having so much traffic in front and does he recalibrate himself? And I thought, you know, for a kid who got bombarded, he did a pretty good job of like, you know, keeping composed under a lot of duress. Yeah, it, that's a great word choice for it, right? When when a goalie's getting bombarded, the main thing is to keep the defense calm. And the way you do that is by making sure that you're not overly janky in net, you're not you're not overplaying the puck, you're just letting everything come to you. That's not easy to do when you're getting 50 shots a game sometimes. Right. And I thought he did just that. You know, he's very composed. It reminds me, I think now that I've you know, seen him at this event, I've seen him previously, as, as I mentioned on the show, but I haven't seen a ton of them. And uh, he reminds me a lot of Eustace Sununen, who's a, a goalie oh, prospect yeah. out of the Colorado system. Big, big goalie, reads the play pr- relatively well, uh, can can make a highlight reel save. 
at, at times, but it has to do it kind of in unorthodox uh, fashion because he's not not the greatest athlete when it comes to lateral explosiveness, when it comes to uh, his, his uh, extension rates. They're good, but they're not great, right? And uh, I feel like Quap falls in that category to a degree. Um, but you know, mad, mad credit, all the all the credit in the world to to Quap. He he gave Germany a chance, basically every game, and you can't ask for more. That's that's what you need. And I I, I really think technically he's made some really good adjustments from his initial draft season. It's it's just it's very unlikely that he lets in soft goals now. Right, which before yeah. there was, there was he was raw. There were some technical aspects, especially with sealing his sealing himself with his arm position and everything. When he's just even in his butterfly, uh, he, he had some difficulty and just getting comfortable in his overlap, getting more comfortable uh, trend uh, reversing out of his reverse VH off the post, just getting back to standing positions. When you're that big and and young, it takes more time. It, it, it's harder to stay on balance. I feel like that's a huge improvement that Quas made the last two years, yeah. way, way more on balance. And that's what's allowed him uh, to stand out at this event more often. I really think, you know, I don't think he's a starter by any means in the NHL, but does it does, does that not mean he can't be useful? Of course not. He, he could still play some meaningful games here. Right. Uh, so I, 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 thought, I thought he showed really well. And it was a, an important event for him because he's had tr- trouble uh, in the DL. And again, I thought his development was not where it needed to be. I thought he right. should be in the DL too. So good, good event overall. Well, we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Rail. We'll be uh, back with uh... – Slovakia and their great tournament right after these messages. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. This is our 2000. 23 World Championship preview show. We're going to talk about Team Slovakia and in all honesty, I was watching them, and they're up 3-1 against the Swiss. Going into the third, I'm like, okay, they're probably going to win this pool. They're going to win this pool. And then there, here comes the chaos, the chaos that I wanted. I wanted the Czechs to win the uh, other pool, and I wanted the Slovaks to win this this pool and just see how it all plays out um, and give them an opportunity to play, you know, maybe a weaker team, like, you know, a one against a four. Um, it didn't turn out that way. And the Swiss came roaring back and Slovakia didn't win. And then they had to go in and play a really tough quarterfinal. But I give them tons of credit. That 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 country has done a lot of work in a short period of time to develop their players. And let's talk about Delibor uh, Dvorsky, that he's a draft eligible player. And I was curious to see how he was going to handle this situation, I know, you know, he was going to be put in a real prominent position and I came away pretty impressed with what he did at this tournament, considering who he matched up against. I thought his overall game um, offensively and defensively was very, very good. Um, and I know a lot of NHL teams took notice of that. Yeah, absolutely. This is a, a prominent prospect for this draft class. A lot of people have him top 10. We have him top 10. Uh, the, the big thing with Dvorsky coming to this event was when, when you look at his curve, the, the one missing link was off the puck, his, his, the consistency of, of, of energy and then how efficient he was with his energy uh, was, was in question at times. You know, he, 
starting out this year, I thought he was he was playing flat. And then when he was getting going, the Elsvenskin uh, leading up to this tournament, I thought he was playing much better, uh, way more consistent with his pacing, maintaining maintaining the pace of play that he needed to stay above the puck. Anticipate he already anticipates the play well, but once he gets his feet moving, he stays consistent. He can really really be dangerous on both sides of the puck, and he has to be that because he's not a gifted skater. That's the that's the that's the real issue with his game is he's not going to be a gifted skater. If you're not going to be a gifted skater, think the game at a high rate, but also keep your feet moving when you need to. And that, that that's what he showed here at this event because offensively there's a whole lot to like, right? You've seen oh, a lot of there. It's just incredible handling ability. He's very dexterous. Uh, his release is very, very fast. He's I think he's more of a primary playmaker personally than he is a shooter long-term. And I would say if I was to, from a scouting perspective, right, as scouts, we, we it's not all love. We have to, we have to look for the, the, the issues with the player. One thing I thought was he scored a goal from distance early in the tournament. I thought because of that validation, he was relying on his shot quality too often. There was a little bit of a little bit of streamlined right. play with his offensive attack that was not necessary, uh, wasn't necessarily there on Osvenskin as often. Um, that said, like you know, he did what he had to do here, which was he had to match up against other elite players. He had to play well on both sides of the puck and he had to be a, a primary link within, within Slovakia's offense. And he was that he was a dangerous player. Uh, I wish there was more East West movement in his game at this event. I wish that he drew in defenses a little more into the middle so he could find his lateral options at a higher rate. And I wish he used the back of the net a little more. He, he would settle a little bit again, the shock quality, right? He would settle yeah. for things. Um, but in terms of talent, in terms of, of, of physicality, having that extra dimension to his game in terms of looking like a real pro, he was all those things. And, and he, that's what he needed to do. He needed to be dominant. And I, I thought he was pretty, pretty good. Let's talk about Alex Cernick, another 2023 NHL draft eligible player and thoughts on him. Cause he played a prominent role on the top line and had to match up head to head a lot of, against a lot of very good defensemen and some very good lines. And I thought overall in his tournament, he also performed really well. Um, I'm, you know, cause maybe there was zero expectations of him coming into this and, you know, I just sort of left it at neutral and then I'm just going to like, I walked in saying, okay, I'm not expecting anything. I'm not wanting any to see anything. I'm just going to see what happens. And I thought overall he served himself quite well going into the NHL draft. And we'll see what happens over the next uh, four or five months. Yeah, Shernick, the, the thing with Alex Shernick, he has Alsvenskian experience just like Dvorsky for our yeah. listeners. That, that, means, that means pro experience in a good league. Uh, Alsvenskian is the equivalent of the AHL over here, but Alsvenskians are really good leagues, underrated. Um, Shernick is a very gifted skater. He's a gifted, gifted athlete, right? Uh, so from that perspective, he has the speed in order to play at the U20 level, despite being one of the younger players here, right? The problem with Shernick, and that's always been an issue, and unfortunately still seems to be an issue, uh, maybe even more pronounced now after this event, is that there's no extra dimension to his game. If he's not scoring, it's very similar to Jonathan LeCaramacchi. Right? If they're not scoring, what are they? Well, they're not much. That that's the real issue. That that was the real issue here with Sharonik is uh, he didn't win many pop battles. He had a real difficulty uh, fighting through checks along the walls when he was injured early in one of the one of the games. Uh, I felt he really fell off. Uh, did, didn't really show much of a battle level. He took you you mentioned yeah. it the Swiss game. Why did they come back? He took one of the worst penalties I've ever seen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and now that leads back to what I've seen in J twenty because in J twenty I remember he got squeezed out along the boards. He threw his head up in the air and he actually stopped playing for a couple of seconds. He he can get in his own head. He can get frustrated. 
And that's exactly what happened in this event. So there's, there yeah. was mental there is mental recalibration needs to happen here and he needs to add, I will say this to him because you know, I'll be honest, sometimes agents don't help their players just in case if Sharnik ever gets to listen to this, he's, he's got to add another dimension to his game. He's got to be much more comfortable taking physical contact and he's got to, he's got to learn. What's well, the difference between decisions and choices, you know, decisions are one thing where you make that, Oh, I see the option. So I'll make that pass over here and I'll jump into that hole. And then there's a choice of taking a hit to make a play or hustling. Like he can use his speed is, can be a weapon without the puck. All Absolutely. he really needs to do is pressure the puck That's carrier, right? right? Yeah. If it's on his side, if he pressures, it allows his D man to step up a little bit, closes that gap, forces the puck carrier to know there's somebody on your hip or on your back. And now there's a defenseman closing too. What do I do with that puck? So instead of having to carry, I may have to dump it, right? Like he can use that. Yep. And yeah, he I can think, use that. And he yep. had, he showed, you know, when you see a player and they show flashes and you go, mm -hmm. there it is. And then it's gone. Right. And then you don't yep. see it yep. for like maybe a period or two periods. And, oh, there it is again. And then it's gone. Right. And that's what I found. Like there was moments of that in his game. Where I'm like, okay, there's, there's something to build here. I just, um, you know, like most young kids and he's young, as you mentioned, he's, you know, wildly inconsistent and you know, that's, uh, and most of these young players are consistently inconsistent. So we sort of expect that, uh, from that standpoint, let's also talk about, uh, Maxime Sturback. Now we had talked with Tony Gasparini about him earlier in the year, the USHL fall classic show. So thoughts about him in this tournament and how he handled himself. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to speed this up about I'll try to get Sturback, Hanzik, and 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 Guyan here quickly. There's so many Slo Slovaks that did did well. So uh, with Sturback, I'll start off by saying I was pleasantly surprised because my last viewings in the USA show were not very good. Uh, I was starting to lose. Was that pre-Christmas? It was pre-Christmas. Pre-Christmas, uh, you know, all junior players. It tends to I don't know all of them, but it, it tends to happen, happen, right? They tend yeah. to kind of like shut themselves down, right? Knowing that yes. they're going into Christmas yeah, yeah. holidays, knowing right? that they're so, coming to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're not wrong, uh, but, but overall, if I was to take my five, six game sample there, there in the USHL, going into this event, if somebody asked me how he would perform, I would say not like not not like he did. I, I was very surprised for the for the right reasons, which is that I, he's had some trouble. There was always structural issues. We we talked about it with Gasparini, and, and that was not unexpected coming in. He's he's from Slovakia. This is his first taste in North America. He needs to get used to uh, systems in the USHL. He needs to get used to the smaller ice surface. He needs to rein in his game. Right. Uh, that said, I felt like he really has shown progress developmentally in a huge way based off what I saw here. Um, I think probably my last couple of viewings probably more uh, skewed towards the other way, but I, I'm willing to bet if I watched another five, six games besides the two I had, he probably would have shown a little more of what he showed here at the U20s, which was a sound, consistent 200-foot game. He sacrificed his body when he had to. He had that massive shot block late against the Swiss, I remember. Um, offensively, he was a little inconsistent, but he also, again, showed flashes of, of his ability to laterally move and handle the puck and, and find his seams, uh, find his teammates. Uh, I think there's some inconsistencies with how he pivots and, and tries to find his lateral options. But again, he's young. He can easily fix that uh, given time in his development. But the, the thing with him is he can skate. He can hit really hard. He can block shots. Uh, and it, it maintains an adequate gap. 
And there were times where he was burned, but that's not unexpected. This is the best, these are the best players he's ever played against. It's going to happen. He's playing against older players too. Um, and, and just really, he showed me, I, I remember I gave you the, the, the comp, which was, I think there's going to always be some par- comparisons, which is Martin Faravari, because physical from Slovakia right. can really hit. But the, again, there is real, some, there's, some, there's more creativity, more offensive ability, I think, long-term. Moving to uh, Adam Guyan, who was the goalie who came in for, um, yeah, came in for the Slovaks. Uh, I, was I thought it was going to be. I, I thought it was going to be another Godla. I really did. Like it, the way it, he was it progressing, was. It, like, it basically was a Dennis Godla. Yeah. Honestly, like it was that close. You know, it's it's good comp because yeah, Godla in twenty, I think it was twenty fifteen. That's a long time right. ago now. Wow, it feels like yesterday. But uh, he stood on his guy and re- now the the big difference. Though I'm glad you brought that up. The, the big difference between Godla you know, some people thought he was going to be drafted. I, I never did, and the reason why is because. Godla had the performance of life, but he never had the toolkit to play at the NHL level. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not, it wasn't ever there. Adam Goyan does. That's the difference. He might not have had as good a tournament as Godla, but I guarantee you, I absolutely guarantee you, Adam Goyan's going to get drafted. That's a, uh, that, that, he's, he's draft eligible actually last year, but there was, there was no footage of him. I actually did have him to, to track, but there was nothing to watch. So I couldn't do much with him. Um, but to be honest, I, w- I did not expect him to be this good. I, I thought, okay, you know, I, I had heard about him. I knew him. He was on the Slovakia international team last year. He was a Slovakia 20 starter uh, in extra Liga. So I expected him to, to, to be okay, but not like that. That's a, that's a bonafide goalie prospect if I've ever seen one. Um, so he was really impressive. Samuel Honzik, it sucks that he got injured because yeah, he was really did. good. Yeah. Yeah, he was really good before. He and got, particularly got about like when he's playing on the wing. So the the only moments I saw is that because he's on the wing, and sometimes there's always an adjustment if you're a natural center. Is times without the puck, he would veer to the middle of the ice, and he catch himself and veer right back to where he's like where he's supposed to be. So there was, there was almost double coverage because the centerman was there. Um, mm. That was the only thing I really noticed. Overall, I thought he handled himself very well. And I was just, yeah, I was, was just, I was disappointed good. that he got hurt because I thought he was going to be able to add another element. Um, and I wanted to see him, you know, perform against a really another top team before it was all said and done. Absolutely. Out of any player, I wish it was true. Be Samuel Anzig. I really was hoping to see him uh, play the whole tournament. That said, we did, we get it enough to, to, he showed enough where, uh, let's put it this way. But I, from the people I talked to and, and, and myself and the way I, I think Anzic has all the potential in the world. We have him top 10 in hockey prospect. Uh, you know, we have him in 10th right now. I don't think he's done anything to, <laughs> to put himself down the list. Let's put it that way. He, he, he held really well here. Uh, for me, it was all about seeing his progress in transition. Uh, he, again, much like Dvorsky with the shock quality and over being over reliant on it from distance. That yeah. was an issue with him in the WHL, not here. Not here. Right. He, he really showed well here. He's 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 making huge strides early here in his development, and that this the ceiling's very high with Anzic. Very we're impressive gonna, player. We're going to take a short break on hockey prospect. Right, we come back. We'll talk about Team Finland right after these messages. Prospect news and analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. This is our 2023 World Junior Championship review. We're talking about Team Finland, um, disappointing end for them. They were up against the Swedes. Last five minutes, the Swedes decided to turn it on. I didn't think the Swedes played 
particularly well in that game at all for 55 minutes. I thought they were dreadful. Um, and then, you know, skill took over for five minutes and they managed to beat the Finns and disappointing. However, watching the Finns, uh, I want, like we had talked about this player previously. Um, he's a 2023 NHL draft eligible player. And in Lenny um, Hamina Aho, thoughts on his games that you saw him play in the tournament um, because overall I thought he acquitted himself quite well. And, you know, we had talked about some similarities in his game to, you know, maybe Adam Sikor or uh, Mateus Sapovalov. And there, I did see those similarities in this tournament from that respect. And there, you just saw a lot of, there's some raw talent there that, um, and I think defensively he played much better than his age group, like much better. So I thought he gave like the Finns, you know, a little extra spark in a lot of the the games he played in. Yeah, he's he's the best defensive player in this draft. He's the best yeah. defensive winger in this class. He's unbelievable. You should see him in Liga. It's, honestly, for his age, I, I I cannot believe how good he is at reading the play, anticipating play off the puck. It's truly exceptional. And coming to this event, I thought would be a very easy transition for him as a result of that, despite, uh, again, being one of the younger players here, being first time in at the U20s. And uh, I, I thought he I thought he did pretty well. The, the, the big thing with uh, Haminao is that for all the defensive ability, it's 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 not that that he has that in spades. He he plays such a mature game. It's how much offense does he really have? What's the upside? That from a scouting perspective, that's what really he tends to defer. To focus on he tends to defer he, too often for me, and that's part so, of it. So the, the deferring aspect, I feel like in league, it's not as prominent. To, to say, I'll start with yeah. that. I felt like deferring occurred a lot more at this tournament than other tournaments. I felt like you twenty. You could we could talk about that for days. How how many skilled players were deferring too often to their uh, or too often to their line mates? Yeah. Um, I guess part of that is just they, they don't want to look selfish. But yeah, I mean, oh, he's he's a player who's going to have to defer though because he's not a not a gifted skater, right? Really, if you ask me, like, what is the base of this player? What stylistic comparison? Again, I am emphasizing the word stylistic. He is not as gifted offensively or as talented as the player I'm about to mention. But in terms of how they operate, it is similar, and that's Mark Stone. I mean, Aho is like a Finnish Mark Stone. He doesn't skate very well, but holy, can he think the game, and he needs to rely on his handling and his playmaking to set up plays. He has to rely on his give-and-go sequence. Yeah, 100%. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Right? That, that all has to that that is his game that's how he generates right really good on the forecheck too considering how bad a skater he is and that has to do with his advanced uh physical maturity he understands how to leverage his body against somebody else's he knows how to react dynamically to resistance he knows how to get up and underneath and cut through the hands of a player you saw it all tournament you know he would just do a sophisticated little bump off a player knock them partially off balance immediately take the puck in that time in that space find that find that uh, playmaking option within a window right so that that is his game uh, I thought he was very good at times, and then at other times I'm like, oh, there's the there's the 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 short end of the stick in terms of you know, he's not a gifted shooter, he's an okay shooter. Uh, I think he's going to be much more reliant on his playmaking long term than his shooting ability. It's not awful, he's not a terrible shooter, but not not a gifted one either. Um, but he 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 did well here. He represented himself well here. Uh, you know, I I think he, on. Like even Central has, I don't think he's an A-rated player or anything, but I, I really do think that he's going to go in the top three rounds of this draft. I think he showcased that. I, um, you know, our next list, uh, I'll, I'll be doing what I can on my part to make sure he gets bumped up. Uh, I think he's he's definitely a top forty. Uh, looks like a top forty pick to me based off of his viewings in Liga and here. And uh, it's just all about seeing long term if he can mature his offense and, and catch it up to some of his defensive ability. 
Let's talk about uh, Joachim Kamel's tournament now. Obviously, the first game, his ass was planted to the bench um, and got limited time until the end where the coach realized he needed somebody who could score some goals and you know potentially take over a game. And that was pretty much Finland in a nutshell. It's just like um, somebody had to like be the man and take over the game at times because nobody really wanted to do that. And I thought, you know, after the first game, you know, it, it lit a fire under Joachim Kamel's like rear end. Now, I don't think he deserved to be benched in that first game anyway. Like, I don't think there's no point of message sending in the World Juniors. So this isn't a season. It's a short tournament. You don't have time for that. Right. You got to sit down and have a communication and like get over it quickly. So thoughts on him in this tournament overall. Well, to your point, yeah, started flat and then you got to hit the ignition switch with Kemmel and it was hit and uh, and then he was much better. You know, the, the thing with Kemmel is we just mentioned how Sharnik, he's got to develop a secondary skill set if he's going to play, right? Because yeah. it's either top six or nothing because there's, there's no opportunity for a depth role. Uh, Kemmel's unique, and I'm sure one of the reasons that the Predators liked him so much was that uh, he, much like Ely Tolvin, Ely Tolvin, he could really shoot. Well, Ely Tolvin also has, has a good thick frame where he could hit. Now, it didn't work out for, for him in Nashville, but there are very similar qualities there between Tolvin and Kemmel because Kemmel also has sandpaper. Kemmel yeah. can be a force of nature when he wants to be off the forecheck. I've seen him back check really well. I've seen him be very physical when he needs to be. Uh, and that, and that, that I feel like he's a better player when he starts uh, initiating with contact. Right. I feel like the yeah. goal scoring comes when he starts to really get gritty. Uh, and, and that's what I that, felt. That this is he best. funnels everything to the net in that respect. And that's where yes, a lot of his opportunities he, come he, from. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. It, he's, he gets in trouble when he tries to be overly creative with his playmaking. He's not, he's not too gifted to play. If he keeps that simplified, keeps that streamlined, he's good. Yeah. And so that's what use a give and go, buddy. Use the give yeah, and go. Just, 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 yeah. Keep your play simple, short area passes, don't don't try to try don't try to be more than you than you don't are dangle. some of your parts. Yeah, don't 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 overcomplicate what you need to be. Uh, and when he wasn't doing that, that's when he was really showing up. Uh, that's when he was really looking like the the player that's a first round pick. You know, we I remember we talked about it uh, the the week prior before the World Juniors was at the U18s. Like he had a marvelous tournament, and he did it by relying on what he is using his speed using his shot off the rush, being remarkably dangerous on the power play. And that's, I'm sure some of our listeners, that, that's what you saw here is a, in spurts. It wasn't as consistent as U18s, but you saw it here in spurts. And th- there's a lot to like long-term. He's a, I, love, I love his energy. I love the high-energy sniper types. Uh, they're, they're the ones that actually hit his snipers. So I, I think he'll be just fine. But uh, yeah, a little mixed, I think, in his performance overall. But uh, you know, it, I'll get another sniper on that team. We'll throw in very quickly, Yanni Newman. Yanni Newman yeah. had some really good shifts this yeah, tournament. That's a did. player that uh, at Hockey Prospect, I, I had him top 32 at Hockey Prospect. I think we had him top 32 as well. If not, definitely top 36, 37. Uh, I thought yeah, it was, I think it was early second, by Seattle. if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was drafted uh, uh, in the second by Seattle. Yeah. And uh, that's a that's a home run pick right now based off his development. He's, he's tracking really well. Yeah, from that standpoint. I also want to ask you about Otto Salen, who was a fifth-round pick of Los Angeles. Because, you know, going in these tournaments, you you tend to focus on the more higher end, higher draft drafted players. They're expected mm-hmm. to play a heavier role. Uh, but I thought Otto Salen, you know, for what they asked him to do, I thought he was he, he was quite good in a lot. of And, and he, I thought he handled the um, Swedes quite well in that last game. Um, he was not letting them anywhere near the net. Nowhere. Like, I thought he handled that aspect of the game really well. And he the, the Swedes 
had no interest of like going anywhere near the net. Like I think at one point they had a couple shots in like like a ten minute period, and he was yeah, a, like well, he was a force in that way. Well, Salon has Liga experience, right? He's, he's yeah. played he's played in Liga. He, he knows what it takes to box out a pro, right? And that and that's the difference is when you when you're at the U twenties, one of the one of the big indicators of where a player plays, you, you tell based off of the physical maturity of how they how they operate near the net, right? and their willingness play, right? like to go you look to the at net. Big, their willingness to do it. Big Shell, Salen. These players play pro. They play pro young, right? Um, Salen was injured a lot in his draft year, actually. So it, it is interesting getting an opportunity to see him here now. Uh, but the, the way to describe Salen, I think, is efficient. He's efficient. He's smooth. He's very much a, a, a Mark Unetti type of defender. Right? Yeah. We, we've seen what Unetti likes. Uh, I, I know that uh, LA had to, had to make a trade with him, but Brock Faber. Uh, yeah. you know, Brock is very efficient, yeah. puck mover, smooth. Um, Vanilla, but in in a good way. It's got that vanilla bean element to him, the yeah. good type of vanilla, right? That that's that's solid. Uh, there's um, not as gifted a skater as Favor. I don't want to make that a you know it's a, not a not a direct comparison, uh, but gifted 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 defender in some ways, and I think he could be a smooth operating insulator at the next level if things go right. We're going to take a short break. Uh, stay tuned for hour two of Hockey Prospect Radio, our 2023 World Junior Championship review, right after these important messages. Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio. Your voice for prospect news and analysis. On Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back empowered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. This is our 2023 World Junior Championship review show. Let's talk about Team Sweden, who lost the bronze medal game uh, to USA. And I have to give tremendous amount of props to Carl Lindbaum, I thought, as a goaltender. Look, going into this tournament, <clears throat> it's almost like the Rocky quote from you know, Apollo Creed, like, I'm a great fighter, but you fight great. And I thought none of the goaltenders coming in were, I thought, were great goalies. But the vast majority of them played great. And Carl Lindbaum played the greatest of all of them. If it wasn't for him, I don't think Sweden's in a medal game. I really don't. Because the team didn't really play well enough in front of him to really justify that. And he got him there. And he pushed it to, like, an overtime game. And, you know, ultimately, obviously, the Americans won. So I give Carl Lindbaum a tremendous amount of credit. Um, you know, does he come and play pro one day in North America? It's probable, but he's a seventh-round pick of Vegas, so I'm not sure whether they sign him or not um, based on this tournament. I know a lot of people would yell and jump up and scream, but, you know, there's only 50 contracts in the NHL. So you got to use those wisely. Well, if Vegas, you know, I mean, Logan Thompson is one of the most unique development paths in, in the NHL. Right. Right. They don't mind doing it with the in, outside the box, I guess would be the, the way to put right. it. You know, Limblom, he's not uh, he's not your typical goalie in the sense that he's six feet tall. Right. And uh, admittedly, I, I'm usually the, the, the goalie guy who likes I don't mind the smaller goalie. I'll fight for them if I really think they're good. Like I, I would tell anybody who would listen to me about Saros and what I thought. I know. Yeah. I know. I heard all of it. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> I really thought he was going to be special and I'm, I'm lucky enough to get that one. Right. And I think Dustin Wolf is going to do, do something very similar here. And, and you got Levi Limbaugh was not one of them. I admit I, I was not a huge Limbaugh fan. I, I didn't, 
I didn't uh, see eye to eye with Vegas. And uh, then he goes and has the best uh, tournament out of any goalie at this event and looks fantastic. He looked excellent. That the the real thing with with Limblom uh, for me was that just the mental composure because holy, yeah. did Sweden really struggled here in stretches. This was one of the worst Swedish teams in not in terms of talent but in terms of execution. In yeah. terms of being able to live up to what they should have been as a team, this is one of the worst Swedish teams we've seen at this event ever. And Limblom, if Limblom wasn't a net, I mean, I can't imagine how bad, how disastrous this tournament would have been. It would have been probably he probably would have been seventh instead of fourth. Oh, oh yeah, it would have been it would have been a disaster for them. Let's, let's just call it what it is. Without Limblom, there were Sweden is in, in real trouble. Um, really improved and made some tr- dramatic improvements. Uh, in his game overall, I thought this was by far the best international tournament I've ever seen him play in. And uh, I, I admittedly still don't project him to be an NHL goalie, but I also didn't project him to be the best goalie after his draft season in the U-20s. So who am I? Let, let's see what he can do. Uh, and, and shout out to Vegas for for getting a potential goalie here in the seventh round. It's not easy to do. You know, Calgary yeah. did it with Dustin Wolf. Devin Levi is a seventh round pick yeah. out of uh, – uh, I know he was, uh, he was drafted out of Florida and then got traded to uh, Buffalo. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting uh, to, to monitor these smaller goalies and see which ones succeed. And I, I really hope Limbaugh does play. It would be awesome to see. I love watching them. They're so much more fun. Honestly, they're more fun to watch than some of these big mechanical goalies that uh, are 6'4", 6'5". Right. It, 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 it requires a, a lot more effort out of them at times to make sure they can make saves, but it's also a lot more entertaining. So. Uh, let's do a quick shout for Ludwig Jansen, uh, fourth round pick for Florida, because he, you know, we try to go into these tournaments without any level of expectation, just like a clean slate. And I thought Ludwig, you know, played exceptionally well, uh, far beyond what, you know, maybe his talent um, would cons- we consider. So good for him. Like I, like I really appreciated. He just took the bull by the horns. And sometimes that's what I want to see in a prospect, particularly if you're drafting the fourth to seventh rounds is sometimes you got to be the man. And I thought in many cases, he he did that for team Sweden. He was smooth. He was efficient. He was calculated. And he was, he was in the scouting world. We refer to defensemen as are they zero sum players? Meaning for every yep. good play, do they make a mistake? What Janssen certainly was not a zero sum player. He made a lot of very, very important plays at critical times. I felt like he was one of the only players on Sweden that maintained a consistent game. Yes. He was the only one, there was no dip. He just kept going. Uh, and that was critical. It, it was, it was really important. Not the flashiest player, uh, there's limitations there, but you're, you know, sometimes there's players very good execution the and have, the, have the mental makeup where yeah. they're more than some of their parts. That's what defines Love against. And to me, he's more than some of his parts. That's, that's what he looked like to me out there at the U twenties. Uh, he'll, he'll look great. I'm sure Florida's thrilled with his performance. Yeah. Let's talk about Philip Bystead as well. So, you know, there's discussion about him where he was drafted 27th overall by San Jose, but I thought he performed admirably at this tournament. You know, as one of the one of the forwards who really took it upon himself to play really well, and I thought, you know, as a big bodied like centerman, I thought he handled himself, and I thought he hand like, you know, when the dips in the plays with Team Sweden, I thought he was the one four that was pretty consistent overall in the middle of the ice. Well, he, you know, Bystedt, he's a byproduct of Linköping's. Uh, system yes. out in the out yeah. in Sweden, uh, Ling Shoping, I, for my money, one of the better uh, development systems. Same system Jakob Vrana uh, developed from, uh, and uh, 
who else played? I think uh, Hogberg, uh, um, the Ottawa goalie, was a, a byproduct of uh, Ling Shoping too. I'm just trying to think about prospects in recent years. Uh, the thing that really stands out uh, about Bystead is that he's starting to understand how to finally use his size. I say finally because in his draft season, the reason that he went later, okay, the toolkit is phenomenal. You know, it's 6'4", 200-pound player with with dexterous hands, tons of range, right? He's he's There's a lot to like there uh, at the surface. The problem was he didn't know what he was. He didn't know what he was supposed to be in his yeah. draft year. There was a lot of perimeter play. There was a lot of, uh, of not driving, not using instincts that are necessary uh, to take advantage of that frame. Right. And uh, I'll give credit credit to the Sharks here. Obviously, their development staff has put in work. Obviously, the Ling Xiaoping staff has put in work and the, the results speak for themselves. He was much more uh, uh, possession driven. He was able to draw in defenses. He was able to give his teammates space, which theoretically he always should have been able to do. But he was not, he was not very successful. So the, yeah. there's there's good steps here. Now, there, there's still more steps to be done. He's still raw in some ways. He's still over. I think he's a little overzealous at times, but I, I don't blame him for that. I mean, he's trying to make a difference here when his team is flat. And when 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 you're when you're trying to be the guy, you know, it's not a bad thing to see necessarily. Even if you're going to make well, a, a couple wanted of wanted to take over the game. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've yeah. got to have somebody try to make a difference, and he tried to be an impact player. Uh, I'll be honest; I didn't think he had a ton of chemistry with Leo Carlson, which was part of the issue. Uh, but it, looking at individual performance uh, rates and what he looked like from his initial draft season to now, I, I think the Sharks should be uh, pretty happy with it, considering the fact that he started really taking pucks to the net and he's starting to show better instincts for holding possession longer in the offensive zone. Well, let's talk about Leo Carlson since you mentioned him. Uh, because there was obviously a lot of eyes on him coming into this draft, you know, along with, uh, you know, Bedard as well. And, and Adam Fantilli thoughts on Leo Carlson's tournament overall playing, you know, on a team that was pretty flat for the most part. I thought I was actually impressed in many cases with his game when things got really tight and the games got super close. I thought that's when he played better. Well, the, the, the game against Finland, I, th- I think that, yes. that was the game where he really, you know, took the bull by the horn, so to speak. And he, he showed what he can do. Uh, very intelligent player. Uh, the, the thing that's interesting about Leo Carlson, I, I project him as the number two overall pick in this draft, right? I had him as number one going in, to be to be, to be honest, right? I, I really thought him and Bedard are right there. Uh, the, the, the huge difference when you're contrasting Bedard to him is Bedard, there's still a lot of junior tendencies within Connor Bedard's game. He's a magnificent talent, as I'm sure everybody here knows now. Uh, they didn't know before, they certainly know now spectacular talent, incredibly rare talent. Leo Carlson's not as offensively gifted as Connor Bedard. That's clear. However, however, in terms of two-way impact, in terms of being able to uh, mature as a center long-term, Leo Carlson fits the bill slightly more at this stage than Bedard does. I I think long-term, Leo Carlson's going to be a much more dominant two-way player than Bedard. So it closes the gap more than theoretically you would think based off of the production at this event for for our listeners who just saw this event and haven't seen them outside of it. I will say this, Connor Bedard performed even better than he has in the WHL in most, most uh, instances this season. Leo Carlson underperformed relative to his peak performances in the SHL out of uh, um, uh, – Where's Leo? Where's Leo playing right now? Shlefty? I yeah. can't even remember what well, Carlson's playing. It, it, well, it's a, it's a, it's a byproduct of, of the team that he was playing with in this tournament and the byproduct of how, the chemistry with his line mates and mostly by the byproduct of the team being flat, you know? Oh, you know. absolutely. You know, that, that paid dividends. But his peak performances in a rep row were not seen here. So you've seen peak Bedard. 
but at this tournament, you didn't see peak Leo Carlson, right? And then when you project the upside, I still think it's a lot tighter than people think. But I, I obviously, I give Bedard his due. It's incredible what he did. But Leo's special talent. Leo Carlson's a really special talent. It, 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 the scenario of how this sort of plays out has reminded me very much of what happened with uh, Leon Dreisettle in his draft here. It's, you start to see tr- the same sort of theme developing in terms of what people thought of him and then as it played out towards the draft. And then, you know, obviously Leon Dreisettle went third overall. And then obviously you've seen what happens with his career um, in that that's, case. That's so, true. That's a good it, point. Honestly, it's true. It's, this, the trajectory is a little similar in the, in the sense yeah, that yeah, Leo is projected to be two or three, not one. And now that you look at what Dreisettle has developed into, the, the thing with Carlson, Leo Carlson off the ice uh, I'm fortunate enough to know people in Sweden who know him, right? Like uh, Johan Lindemann Carlson, our Swedish scout, he, he's talked to him. The, the kid's got a good head on his shoulders, right? And that's what you need. He's one of those very uh, stereotypical, quiet, mature Swedes that just takes in all the information. And that's exactly what he has to be, right? And then so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, very interesting to monitor Bedard versus Carlson long-term in five years. I'll say that. Well, no, and, and this certainly, you know, when we talk with Dr. Kevin Willis about the mental side of the game, and then we, you know, we talked to Pat Malloy about really integrating all those things into one and trying to build a profile for a player to help them develop and move forward. You know, you start to see those pieces and the themes develop in that. And that's what I find, you know, Leo Carlson really interesting to watch this play out as we get towards the draft in June. So there's lots left, but we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back empowered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. This is our 2023 World Junior Championships review. We're going to talk about the bronze medal team, uh, Team USA. Give them a tremendous amount of credit. It was a fantastic bronze medal game. I thought the Americans deserved a medal. Um, way they played through this tournament, I got to see them play a lot, obviously, because I was stationed in Moncton for the majority of the tournament. And, you know, right off the hop, one of the, the players that jumped out to me in terms of his play, and he was just so consistent at a high level, was Jimmy Snuggerud. I mean, and, and look, physical dynamic, I thought, you know, like mentally and emotionally, he was at a really consistent level. When things got tougher, I thought he really dug in. And we talk about, and this is something that Dave King, uh, you know, the longtime NHL coach and, and world and Canadian national coach, talks about the difference between having choices and decisions. And, you know, players will make a really smart decision to move the puck here or I'm going to, like, hold back or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take this puck in this direction or jump into this hole. And then there's choices. And choices are hard. Like, I got to take a hit to make a play. I got to go to the front net and take some punishment. You know, and that's what Jimmy Snuggeru did consistently through this tournament. And, yes, you look at the points, and they were great. But I looked at he made hard choices, and he consistently made hard choices. And I think the St. Louis Blues are going to be thrilled with him, and the fans are going to be thrilled with him as a player because that's a playoff player right there. Yeah, he's, he's, you know, uh, we had him top 14 in our final rankings. I, I, I Since November of his draft year, I had him top 10. Right. That's how much I love this player. I, I was raving about this player. I thought St. Louis, remember saying on this program, St. Louis got one of the best draft I'm at day 23. Gems, period. Yeah. Got him at 20. That is a that is what we call a steal. I know it's early. 
And yes, we got to wait an extra four years, but based off the trajectory of what we're seeing, uh, I say St. Louis is pretty thrilled with uh, the development of Jimmy. The, the thing with Jimmy in his draft year, he was a unique hybrid power forward who could think the game at a very high rate, had the technical mechanics to theoretically put up a ton of points, but wasn't putting up a ton of points. That was kind of the, and I think that's one of the reasons he fell is because the execution rates weren't there yet, specifically with the shooting. You look at this draft here, also the, the fact that he's a bit of a wonky skater. He's, a, he's, he's just by his physiology is a little right. different. And, and the other aspect is that when it comes to uh, a hyper power forward style of play, uh, there are times where he won't he won't be that streamlined uh, driver. He's gonna he's gonna find that uh, double layered saucer pass through traffic at times and slow down the play abruptly. He does things a little differently at times. Uh, so there's my point of saying this is there's some Matt Bully here where you have so much potential and you need to give him time to mold it and figure out how to optimize play in different sequences in different contextual situations in the ice. Right, and we talked we to saw Tim this Taylor event, about that. That's exactly right. That's exactly what we talked uh, with Tim about. What you saw at this event was that he is starting to understand when it's when he should drive to, to draw defensemen, when he should rely on on using his tempo control, using his rhythm to slow down, readjust his lanes, find his backdoor options. He's understanding how to use the net better. He's understanding how to come off the boards better while still in possession. Well, he's on balance. That's yeah. a critical point. When when you're an awkward, unorthodox skater and you're raw. If your physical makeup is wrong in your draft year, one of the issues you're going to go off balance when you're trying to drive. Now Jimmy is stronger. Jimmy has a better center of gravity. He's He's got a better core strength to him. What does that mean? When he's coming off the wall in possession, he's trying to peel off pressure. He's still on balance. He can pass a puck better. now. Right. And he had the brilliant technical playmaking already, plus the vision. So everything's going coming together, and that's exactly what happened with Jimmy at this tournament. Let's talk about Trey Augustine, and not very often does a draft-eligible goaltender be thrust into this position. It was only the sixth time that has happened for the Americans to have a 17-year-old goaltender. In, and I thought, considering the amount of pressure was put on his shoulders, and it wasn't, I don't think anybody was expecting for him to be the starter, I thought he handled himself exceptionally well. And although the bronze medal game was chaotic, and we were laughing, right, because you looked at the first period and you were like, okay, it's going to be kind of one of these games, one, nothing. And all of a sudden everything blew up in the second period. It was chaos. Right. And like, look, it I was madness. Chaos. It was madness. Right. And the third period was much more of the same. And then into overtime. Um, but I thought he handled himself really well um, throughout this tournament because we look for goaltenders. It's that mental and emotional like resiliency. And I thought he showed that in his game. I give him credit. That was a tough situation for a young goalie to be in, in a hostile environment. So he, he's, you know, he plays internationally a lot. That's the thing. He, he has ice in his veins. He's done this before. He won gold uh, at the U18s. Yeah. Right? He, he knows what it takes. So uh, the, the way I look at it is that with Trey, he's, he's technically ahead of the game. Mentally, he plays with ice in his veins at times. So the, those are two critical components that he already has down. Uh, you know, U20 performances for goalies really do matter. Uh, I weight them more heavily than I do for for other positions. Uh, you know, you, you look at you look at this tournament historically. Like a lot of elite level NHL goalies have played at, at, at the U20s and and performed well under uh, a lot of pressure, a lot of duress, right? And that's what Augustine's done here. Augustine Augustine's in a difficult position naturally because he's on that program, and that program tends to dominate. And that puts us as scouts, me as a goalie scout, uh, I'm an everything scout, I scout everything, but I do scout goalies too. And 
it is admittedly a much more difficult task to, to gauge a goalie when he's on a dominant team. So it was welcome. It was a welcome experience for me to see him match up against teams that could actually put American on, on the, on the back. On end. their heels. They, yeah. On the, uh, I needed to see that and I needed to see how he would, how he would uh, deal with that pressure. You know, uh, I think, I think the, he fits into the Spencer Knight mold in the sense that he, he reads the game extremely well. He's technically very sound, but he needs to recognize when he needs to uh, break from his technique at times to exaggerate his posture and make make more um, make more difficult saves uh, in terms of being able to just get back in front of a of a puck after after a rebound opportunity for instance that's that's parked near him but not directly in front of him he needs to know when to, it's time to get really moving there's a bit of there's a, he's a little too quiet at times uh, I know that sounds difficult there's a balancing act though it's you don't always want your goalie to be quiet sometimes it's important to to break technical form to get to get moving and get in front of a puck again so there, I think that's that was shown in, in at this event that he needs to still work on that element. But uh, Augustine has a lot of upside, and you know he, he had to battle through this tournament. He had to battle through it, and he did. Yeah, one of the guys that jumped out to me, and I thought just had a really well-rounded game and projects, I think, into an NHL role player was Red Savage. Like I thought, Red Savage's game overall, like we talk about <clears throat> versatility through a lineup, we talk about being a Swiss Army knife. We talk about players who can match up against other teams, top players and try to like, you know, take them out of the game and take them off the rhythm. I thought red savages game for the USA was a forward that wasn't expected to be one of their top players. And you didn't look at him in terms of a flashy offensive play, but I thought his overall game was very, very good. And I'm sure the Detroit Red Wings are really happy. Like I was talking to a couple of scouts and they all, we all said the same thing. Like he's had a really good tournament and projects him to be, you know, one of those role-playing NHL players that could play for a long time. And you kind of look back at the draft and go, oh, a fourth round pick played like 800 games. He may be one of those players. Yeah, there's a, a couple of similar, <clears throat> the, the, this is not a perfect comparison by any stretch, but in terms of how they're going to function at the initial level, we, we mentioned Lachmilis earlier out of Latvia, similar right. style, like they're going to be role players, they're competitive, they're well-rounded, they make their teammates better, they support properly, they defend well, uh, they give you energy, right? That That's, that's he, what Red Savage He reminds me of Kurt Mulpley, they used to play for yeah. Detroit. You know, that's yeah, exactly. why I just like, he, the, a guy who plays on the third line and does everything for you. Um and I just, I thought he played with a lot of grit and determination and intelligence without the puck. His puck support was, I thought was excellent. It's excellent. Yeah. He's yeah. always had it too. He's always been a very smart thinker off the puck. He knows how to, he knows how to read and react. He knows how to anticipate play in advance. He knows how to stay above the puck. He knows how to get to the dirty areas and correctly get the puck out of those areas in the time frame right. to, to find a teammate. Like he, he really knows how to help a team. He's just, he's one of those players <laughs> that will be at times unassuming to fans uh, and then not end up on a highlight reel, but be in- instrumental to to a victory, right? And that's what he was here. That's what yeah, he was at this it, event. He 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 makes the hard choices that a lot of players aren't willing to make, and he does it at a young age. And to me, once you realize who you are and you start making hard choices, you have a greater chance of playing in the NHL because you just you're defining who you are at a younger age, and that just makes it easier for you to really focus on the things you need to do. So we have a minute or so left. It was anybody else other than. Obviously, Logan Cooley, who really was the st- the straw that stirred the drink for the Americans. Yeah, L- Logan was great. <laughs> I- I'll I'll turn your attention towards Gavin Brindley. Uh, yeah. I-, I felt yeah. that uh, Brindley coming in this event for me, 
I, I thought he really struggled in college. I thought his playmaking uh, uh, accuracy, his playmaking trajectory was way off. And I have multiple viewings, like five, six viewings of him in college. I, I was not impressed with his game. I know some other people really liked him. I, I always liked his speed. I always liked his defensive play. It's, you know, In my notes, I still remember one specific sequence where he had phenomenal transitional defensive switch where the processing speed really stood out, really showed attention to detail. But with the exception of his of his handling ability and speed, he was not executing well at all, and the playmaking was off. Without playmaking, Gavin Brindley's not going to be what he needs to be. However, at this event, I thought he really put it together. I thought he was a fantastic, fantastic addition to that roster. I thought he was one of the best players for the States, and, and he was one of the youngest players on the ice. And uh, he really, really woke me up to the idea of what he can become now at the NHL level. I, I thought it was a night and day difference from what I saw in college to here at the, uh, at the U-20s. You, you, one, of the, one of the better performances for me out of the draft-eligible boards. Well, I think what, what, what Gavin really brought was he just – he had an established role on this team. And he didn't have to do more than was asked of him in this role. And I think with his intelligence, I think with his uh, pace, I thought with his energy, you know, I think that like, you know, if you could put him and Red Savage on a line together and then someone in the middle, you know, that there's a there's a fun third line in an NHL that could really like cause distractions in that way. So kudos for team, you, you know, Team USA for winning the bronze. But Brad and I are going to take a short break. We'll be back on Hockey Prospect Radio right after these messages. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering you the largest data a video library, teams, players worldwide. This is our 2023 World Junior Championship review show. So let's give tremendous props to Team Chechia uh, with their silver medal. I thought throughout this tournament, they were fantastic. They deserve to be playing for the gold medal game. They pushed Canada right to the brink into overtime. It was a wonderful game. Um, and a lot of Czech, uh, Czechia players really elevated themselves. And really, I think in many cases, um, for people who don't cover prospects and don't cover this tournament on a regular basis, I think they surprised a lot of people out there. And number one on that list, who we've talked about before, Stanislav Svozol, a third-round pick, 69th overall by Columbus. And we talked to about him quite a bit, obviously, with, with Yarmo and with Rick Nash on our show and kudos to this kid because we talk about taking your game to another level. This kid took his game to another level. Um, you know, we pumped up this kid quite a bit coming into this tournament because we just saw we saw the potential there, and we were just waiting for the cork to pop, and it popped in this tournament. And credit to him, he played great. One of the best defensemen in this tournament. Uh, it's why I voted for him for, you know, in the voting to be one of the top defensemen because I thought he really deserved it. Absolutely. Going back to his draft season, he was in a similar situation to Reinbacker in the sense that he's playing up in a top uh, extra league and yes. he's playing for uh, up in Chechia. Um, and the, the thing that, that it was very interesting about his draft season was like Reinbacker, the real appeal was the idea that he could really be a, a diverse defenseman, a varied defenseman with a, a an array of ways of shutting down opposing teams. Right. He's very physical. He's a good stick instincts. He knows how to close gaps properly. He knows how to mitigate risk. There was a lot of maturity there. 
However, I don't, I don't, the only person who, who really said, hey, I think he's more of an offensive defenseman, well, was when Rick Nash told us uh, after he saw him in development camp. Right. And, uh, well, Rick Nash is one of the greatest goal scorers that has ever played the NHL. So I said, okay, if Rick Nash is telling me that Stanislaus Vosel was showing some offense, he's probably showing some offense. And sure enough, this is the first real time. I've, I've not got an opportunity to see Vosel too much in his development. And sure enough, look what he did here. This He's really, really showing. Uh, a, a polish, a much more polished 200 foot game with way more offense than I think a lot of people, including myself, projected. And I loved him. I had him. I had him in the top 32 in this draft season. I did not project this. Right. Um, so let's put it this way: Columbus got him in the third round. I absolutely guarantee our audience that he does not go in the third round in a redraft already right now. Not a chance. So uh, excellent, excellent pick by Columbus. Uh, Columbus keeps doing this. They always find that uh, international player uh, out of the top two rounds that, that ends up becoming something for a team. Oliver Bjorkstrand was another third rounder. Yeah, I, I, loved, I loved him in Portland. I loved him in Portland when yeah, he played for the he was Winter fantastic. Hawks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Skating was the issue back then. He he, he fixed that enough. And uh, yes, yeah, Svols was phenomenal at this event. I thought he was honestly... Arguably, arguably the best defender at this event. And uh, he, he is just, his his development curve has skyrocketed. He looks fantastic. Obviously, mad props to, to Rick and, and, and Columbus. They're, they've developed him. Uh, they've developed him and, he, and he, looks, he looks like he's could really be a, a top pairing defenseman. And you get any of that in the third round? That is, that is his, well, that's, that's a, one of those. That's a grand slam home run. Look at that's a grand slam home run. If yeah. he makes it, if he's a, a second pairing D-man, and you're getting him in the third round. It's a great Brian's pick. It's a, yeah, yeah. It, that's a huge hit. And most people don't realize like how hard it is and the probability of getting a 69th overall pick into the NHL and playing at that level. That just does not happen. That's a really low percentile very probability. Rare. So, rare. yeah, really impressed, uh, you know, by his overall play. Okay, let's talk about the goaltender, Samanic. You know, I think we really have to because this kid, stood on his head like he literally was like the best goaltender in the tournament i voted for him as the best goaltender in tournament i you know if it wasn't for Connor bedard's performance i i seriously pondered like voting for him as the mvp he was that good and that different that much of a difference maker so from a goalie a goaltending you know scouting perspective give us your thoughts on how he played in this tournament absolutely so i i've said it on this show last season and I said Thomas Suhanik was the most improved goalie I'd seen coming in from his initial draft year to his first year in Tri-City in the WHL. There were so many modifications that he needed to make in order to be a viable uh, goalie in terms of being draft eligible, looking at him and saying, could he be one of those players that ends up just just making it as a result of, of his improvements and his mental composure. Uh, you know, he was always a very competitive goalie, always a battler coming out of Chechia too in his initial draft year, but he was technically all over the map. I didn't like his set stance at all. He had to completely remodify it, which he did uh, coming into Tri-City. And just the level of improvement legitimately, I, I, again, I watch, I'm a universal scout. I see 200 plus players a year. I see some of these kids in depth for years and years and years. He, the, 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 the curve of this player has been nothing short of staggering. And I give him full marks. He, he played, we, we talked about it with Augustine ice in his veins. He, he, it was, it was like a picnic to him playing in that gold medal game. I couldn't, and he was coming out of an injury. 
He, I thought yeah. he was going to be leaving the game, and he he stays in there and he makes magnificent saves directly after directly after oh, he got yeah, hurt. Yeah, that toe save was unbelievable. Oh, I was, was right over top of that save, and I did like almost. I jumped up and I almost like went over right over the edge, right? Because it was just like I couldn't believe what a great really save that was. Yeah, and they it made multiple. That was one of yeah. the multiple highlight reel saves where it could have game could have been out of reach without him very quickly. Let's put it that way. Uh, fantastic performance. You know, there's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, you know, in terms of draft, this is one of the deepest drafts I can remember for for goaltending. And now he might add uh, his name to that list in terms of getting on people's radars. I mean, that's this is the way to do it. You have a performance like that at this tournament. That's a way to get on people's radars. He 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 did everything he could. And I, I'm with you. I think if Bedard uh, Bedard wasn't there, he really is uh, MVP caliber. He was he was phenomenal. I mean, I think he tied a record with Dominic Hasek. When your name is mentioned with Dominic Hasek, you've done something really right. really right. Yeah, a hundred percent. So let's talk about another draft eligible player in in Edward Saleh. And you know, you had some concerns about him coming into this tournament. He just hadn't played with the level of consistency that you had hoped to see. And you know, we sometimes see that with prospects is after Christmas, they tend to hard charge, particularly the defensive. But uh, Edward Saleh is a forward in this case. Thoughts on his play throughout this tournament. And will this tournament help him moving forward? Just getting, you know, feeling good about himself as he gets, you know, comes back home, you know, comes back to his home and starts really, really sort of pushing towards the NHL draft. Mm. So, so much like Ryan Backer, uh, Chalet, plays up in, uh, no, I know Ryan Backer plays in the National League, but uh, bear with me. Much like Ryan Backer in the sense that they both play pro, they, they yeah. both play uh, heavy minutes on the respective men's teams. Now he plays an extra league uh, over in Chechia. Uh, they are raw physically. And that's why I contrast them, even though one's a defense and one's a forward. They're both raw physically, and they're both uh, under the level of coordination that I know they will get to. And so you try to take that into consideration. Against men, you're really taking into consideration. At the U20 level, that's where you can you can weight this a little more heavily because you have to. You don't get a lot of opportunity to see him against junior competition. He did right. play at the Five Nations. I thought he was very average at that. This was a very important tournament for him. And to be honest with you, I thought he did not meet expectations. I am still uh, I'm still wanting a whole lot more. Uh, with the exception of being able to offlook an option and make a lateral pass on the power play, and with the exception of playing within his game he doesn't he doesn't try to overextend he didn't try to overextend too often uh didn't force play so i give him props there yeah if there's poison in his game he's a smart player he's a mature player in some ways i really think that there needs to be a lot of work done here still in order for him to live up to to where he's ranked currently at least on consensus list i have him nowhere near where you see in consensus and this this tournament did not dissuade me in the least uh, i think at hockey prospect two and i don't know where we put our last rank is to be honest but i was trying i was trying to tell mark listen you gotta this this kid needs a long long rope and so we wanted to give him his u20 do uh but uh yeah i he he's he's still very raw and he needs a lot of work a lot of work to be done but he's young and i, I hope he i hope he really comes alive here in the second half and he performs well we'll see yeah we got a couple of minutes left before we head off in the break and obviously you know you got to give props to David Yurichek, who really like took the bull by the horns as a defenseman and allowed the other defensemen to like, you know, it was almost like the there was the three horsemen and they just like collectively got together and said, we're going to like, we're going to take this tournament over. And what I love about what happened for Chechi is that you and I've been talking about 
Czechia and Slovakia taking the next steps of their development, getting back to what they were 20 years ago when they were dangerous in this tournament. And it's absolutely critical for this tournament that it's not the big five, that it's actually more of the big seven, where Czechia and Slovakia can come into this tournament and compete legitimately for medals. And I thought this was the turning point. We've been waiting for that. So props to, you know, the, you know, Czechia hockey. I think they've done a really great job in terms of pushing the development and really emphasizing a lot of resources and time and money. And I think this is going to really spurn on the young players when young players, you know, that are nine, 10, 11, 12, see this, that's what inspires them to continue to play hockey. So that's what I'm really happy about when it comes to Chechia. Yes. You know, they're disappointed. They didn't win gold, but coming to this tournament and getting a silver, Massive for their program. What Slovakia did was massive for their program. And I think this is really critical for next steps and it made the tournament so much more fun. So from that standpoint, I'm I'm really happy for Chechia. Um, also, it's a great country to go to and visit. Um, love Prague. Um, you know, it's a great place to have a tournament. So hopefully cross our fingers, you know, in the next five years that, you know, they're hosting again because I think it's going to be uh, fantastic. Certainly helps their national teams as well. So, Brad and I are going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll be back with our final segment right after these messages. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back in power by Instat Hockey, offering the largest library of video and players and teams worldwide this is our 2023 world junior championship review we'll talk about the gold gold team in team canada obviously led by the incredible performance of Connor bedard like we have not seen a 17 year old two something like this i can't even remember the last time this happened to be honest off the top of my head and you know, kudos to him. You know, it was a tremendous amount of stressful situation. A lot, all the eyes were on him, and he came in and just took the bull by the horns and decided this is what I'm going to do, and did it and performed like it, it was a remarkable performance and deserved to be the MVP. And I love his comments after the game. It's not about me. It's about the team. We're not talking about me. I love that because that says something about who he is as a person as well. So, uh, <laughs> I mean. I know the gap in some cases is going to be, you know, we talked about the gap between him and, and Lucas Carlson. Um, but I certainly, I certainly think, you know, Connor in this situation elevated his game even more so than the dub. I think, you know, it was a tough, this is a tough competition and you knew everybody was after him. Like we talked to, I talked to defensemen on other, other nations about him and they go, Oh no, he was our number one. Like we got to take care. If we can take care of him. Then we got, we're going to, we have a chance to win. And it just, you know, he performed his magic throughout the majority of this tournament. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the last player at 17 to be this special, this is a bit before my time, and I don't have the stats in front of me. I think it was Yager. I think it was Yager Yager who yeah. pulled it off yeah. way back. <laughs> Yager's still playing at 50 and putting up points in Chechi as we speak, amazingly. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think he was the last one. But Bedard, listen, going in, the expectation was to be – nothing short of elite and he exceeded that I mean, yes. he, was, he was it was one of those per- performances you'll never forget 
as a scout. You'll never forget what you saw. Uh, he is extremely unique in the sense that he does not fit the typical number one prototype, meaning he's not dominant with tools. And that, on the surface level, is a little uncomfortable as a scout when you when you first saw him. The, the first time I saw Connor Bedard and really focused on him as a scout was actually over in Sweden when he, uh, during the COVID pause, he was playing for HV for right. just a couple of games. Yeah. And uh, I got to see him there. And uh, at that time, he, he was really lacking power in his skating base. And so the tools really underwhelmed relative to that. So you look at that and you're like, oh, I don't know. He's not, you're not, you're not, because I know, I say this for a reason. The comparable is always going to be, well, he's the next Connor McDavid. Okay. No. He's not going to ever play like Connor McDavid. So no. I don't think it's very, like Pavel Bure to me has always been the stylistic comparable for, for Connor McDavid, right? Because the speed, right. right? Pavel Bure changed the idea of what speed offers in the NHL. Yeah. Right. Connor McDavid is the new age variation. That what Bedard is is something completely unique because he's going to have to be way more reliant on what his real gifts are, and that's to be completely unpredictable. He's deceptive. Cannot read this player. Exactly what I said about him with Mick. Cannot read this player. Yeah, he's so deceptive. Very unique. Yeah. Very unique. And the reason that he's so deceptive is also unique. It has to do with his ability to quail coil into himself within his frame will still be able to manipulate and control the puck at absolutely the most bizarre angles I've ever seen. The the angles he can shoot from like the, the, the puck is directly in front of his skates. He's off balance. The head his hand positioning on a stick. You would never think he can shoot. And it's in the back of the net in a split second. It's just, it gives him a very unique way of manipulating uh, layer traffic. Yeah, it, it it makes it incredibly difficult for that defenses overtime to predict goal prove that. That overtime exactly goal proved that. It's yeah. exactly that. It, it, you see it in OT goal. You see it. In, well, you see it in everything he does. Every play is. It's just it, it, okay. Say he doesn't get his shooting lane. He'll manipulate the back pivot of of the defense. The defense is turning. He'll put a pass right through her legs so that he can't. They cannot. Not, they can't react to the pass. Or he'll turn them inside out. And then he'll he'll draw on the defense and make something else happen. He just. He has this uh, very unique ability to recognize his windows to operate in and then operate at a technical level at very strange angles that are allowed by the dexterity and the ability to quail into his into his frame. That's the way I think to describe Bedard. And that's just not a very prototype. It's just not what you normally look he's at un- as a number one. He's a unique one athlete in that respect. Very, very unique athlete with his dexterity and his, and his range and timing. So the other thing with Bedard is he does – this is where the McDavid comparison makes some sense to me. I don't think he's ever going to be a very good defensive player. That doesn't mean he doesn't try, and it doesn't mean he doesn't make good defensive plays. We saw them. There was a couple yes. of excellent yeah. defensive sequences from him. It will never be, I think, I shouldn't say never, I'm a scout, but very unlikely that we're going to see him become a well-rounded player. However, like Connor McDavid, it doesn't have to be. He's one of those very rare exceptions to the rule where I don't think you really care. The he only can be, time it might he ever be matter, average and be a superstar. Exactly. Right. The only time where you really might care is in a playoff series where you're going up against a, a team that count, goes on the counterattack after trying to, to, to uh, take take away pucks, try to break down players in transition. Like the, the McDavid, when McDavid gets stifled, it's always against teams like Boston who can counteract them uh, w- with their positioning, with their system, with their structure, and then strip them and then be able to, to, to move the puck in the opposite direction quickly. The, Bedard's not going to be able to have that 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 well-rounded game that like Leo Carlson's going to be able to develop. But again, it won't matter. 
It's just not going to matter. He's just too talented. Very unique player, super special talent. I admit, I know this is going to really bother some Canadian fans, but I have to say it. I really hope he gets drafted to the States because it helps grow the game. I want to see the great game grow. Connor Bedard is one of those very rare players that can help grow the game. Certainly. Uh, let's talk about Joshua Wobb because he's just, it's a unique journey for him being first overall pick in the QMJHL draft, uh, going to St. John. Things didn't really quite work out there. Uh, a lot of coaching changes, a lot of like chaos in the organization. And then, you know, he gets drafted in the fifth round by Montreal. There was even questions whether he might not even have got drafted. That's how crazy this situation is. And I've never seen a player, like the only other player I've seen do this um, in recent history is Nicholas Waugh, who was also a first round pick of the QMJHL draft, where at such a young age, they reinvent themselves. They realize self-awareness. I can't do what I did as the 16 year old kid. I can't do that. And I need to become this if I'm going to make it. And he just, he changed. There was a level of self-awareness that you rarely see in a player of that age. And I thought he was one of the best players for Canada, both sides of the ice, particularly defensively. I thought he played a pro game. I was really impressed with Joshua Waugh. His development has been phenomenal. And to your point, you give, you got to give credit where credit is due. It's very rare for a player to change the foundation of their game. At that, rare. at that age, at that age, at yeah. that age, there's another I can I can think off the top of my head right now that did do that. That's Jakub Lauko. Jakub Lauko right. was considered an electrifying, you know, superstar back when he was 15 years old, and then not a very competitive player, played too loose, not very structured, and now he's like this Opposite. third line, extremely hard nosed, hard skilled, competitive player. He's, he's got a lot of hard skill to go with the soft skill. Very very unique transformation, and yeah, he's just. It, it, it's extremely rare. And from a scouting perspective, I'll be honest with you, it's one of the hardest things to do as a scout is you want to pretend that they are all going to transform their games the way you envision that they need to. But most of them yeah, don't. They don't do that. Very difficult to project, very difficult to accurately assess when they're going to. Wall has. So right. props to them. Before we take off for the end of the show, we yeah, want to talk about obviously Adam Fantilli and your thoughts on him through this uh, through this tournament, and then he played on the wall, right, which is is not his natural mm-hmm. position. Uh, but I thought overall, when he had the opportunity, he took advantage of opportunities and flashed what you know what we thought we saw him in University of Michigan. Yeah, the, the thing with Fantilli is that I knew that there was issues with the with the, the hockey sense aspect relative to the other top end competition, right? And I mentioned on this program, I said, it's not, it's not that he's going to be as good at optimizing his play. It's not that he's going to be as efficient as, as Bedard or Leo Carlson or Matthew Mitchkov or Andrew Crystal, the list goes on. It's that his toolkit allows him the most high danger rates per 60 out of anybody in this draft. He's not going to execute at the level they will, but he can make up for it with the rate that he can do it. And that's, I think, what you saw flashes of at this event, right? Uh, did he perform up to the standards we were envisioning? I'll be honest with you, no. I thought this he performed relatively poorly to expectation, but that doesn't mean that the, the he was also, doesn't have a tremendous amount of talent. He was also he was on the wall, too, right? Yeah, he, and he it was asked on by a coaching staff a that's right. specific that's role, right. so we got to take that into, into and, consideration. And, and, he, and he was excellent in his role. And yeah. that, that does tell you the, – the one thing about Fentile that's truly unique is that he is a power center, and you saw just how willing he is to throw around his frame right. and the type of energy that he comes into a line with. He there, makes there good choices. Backup, 
sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, there's a difference between not decisions, not decisions, choices, choices to go to the bad areas, choices to oh, like. Okay, yes, to, that's like, what yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you no, know, a... absolutely. Yeah, you know, he he's 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 willing. He's he's a hound. He's willing to do yeah. whatever it takes to to help his team win. He's he's one of the most, one of the most driven and competitive kids relative to his talent and toolkit I've ever seen. Yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll give Fantilli full props. The the, the issue is. The overall hockey sense, how to optimize the play. There's, a, I think the best way to put it is there's some Brad Lambert in him. Okay, I was not a big fan of Brad Lambert relative to the tools, relative to the hype. Relative, I, I, Fintili falls into that a bit. Uh, that said, it's one tournament. As a scout, you never, you never overweigh the tournament. It's just one tournament. It's just a smaller game sample. Didn't play a lot of minutes. However, this does now. I, I mentioned previously. I talked about it. Uh, Jerome Bruby has uh, said this too. Fentili underperformed at the U18s. He's underperformed here. It's going to be very interesting to monitor him internationally going forward. Yeah, absolutely. It was a fantastic tournament once again. Kudos to Moncton and Halifax and to all the volunteers. We really appreciated all their efforts. The fans were fantastic. This is another edition of Hockey Prospect Radio for Brad Allen. I'm Shane Malloy. Uh, I gl- hope you enjoyed the World Juniors, and we will see you at the rink.